Begin to read with me in Romans chapter 7, please. And verse 13. <laughs> Has then what is good become death to me? <clears throat> Certainly not. But sin that might appear sin was produced, was producing death in me through what is good. So that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. We know the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sullen, or sin. What I'm doing, I do not understand. What I will to do, that I do not practice, but what I hate, that I do. If then I do that which I will not to do, I agree with the law that is good. But now it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law, the evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warning against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So with the mind I myself serve the law of God, with the flesh the law of sin. There may be no more haunting cry or statement in all of Paul's writing than that which is mentioned in verse 24. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? What a sad, sad, haunting cry for one to utter. Fact is, there is a lot of wretchedness today in the lives of people. If man's life is a mess, happiness has been abandoned. No direction whatsoever, no purpose whatsoever. Then because of his wretched life. But there have been any number of reasons why that have been given man is wretched. And so when we think about that, I'd ask, ask the question, why is man wretched? Well, some have said man is wretched because, well, it's the stars. The stars dialing up. I was born under the wrong moon. I was born under the wrong horoscope. And so, therefore, my life is wretched. Years ago, years ago, there was a song that came out, okay, Sarah, Sarah. That is, whatever will be, will be. And whatever will be, will be, and I just can't change whatever that is. And so the reason man is wretched is not his fault. The reason man is wretched is because he was just simply born under the wrong sign. Another reason, second, that man says he's wretched is because of his parents. It's his parents' fault. And so we have to go back into the deep inner resources of our, our child, and, and we have to find out where, where our id and our ego were bruised and where where we were made desensitized because 
of the flaws of our parents and how our parents treated us. And so the reason for my wretchedness is not my choice. The reason for my wretchedness is because of the way my parents treated me and what my parents have done to me. Well, we have to acknowledge that parents do have an influence on children. And we have to acknowledge that parents have an impact on children. And we have to acknowledge that how parents treat their children also has an impact, sometimes a lasting impact, on their children. And we have to also acknowledge that there are things that we inherit from our parents. Things we inherit more than just simply eye color and hair color, or hairline and no hairline. There are things that we, we inherit that, that are idiosyncrasies, that are part of, of who we are because, because of our lineage. Things that go way down the line in who we are. We have our own, own habits, our own distinctive things that characterize us because of a family trait that is handed down, down to the line. Each one of us have those things. I have those things. Some of them are detestable. Some of them are complimentary. But we have those things, and we try to work with those things that are part of, of who we are. I'm reminded also that, that, Paul, that Paul, uh, Paul will talk to Timothy and talk about the faith that he had that first was in your grandmother and in your mother. And so there was a faith that was shared because of that which had been implanted in him by his parents. And so we do have an impact that parents make upon us. But are we wretched because of the mistakes our parents have made? And then sometimes we say we're wretched it's just because of the environment we live in. David said, I was born into a world of iniquity. And so the world we live in is just filled with iniquity. The environment we live in is just filled with sin. However, it hasn't reached the same degree as Genesis chapter 6, where the imagination of man was evil only continually. So God hasn't sought to end this process yet because there is still the influence of righteous people exercised upon the earth. My conclusion. Well, we have to acknowledge that we do live in an environment that is rather godless. That was part of what Jordan's lesson was about this morning at 9 o'clock. We've removed God from every aspect of our life as mankind, generally speaking, is concerned. The world long ago gave up the idea of God in their life, and because of that, it has been a spiral downward ever since. And so we are influenced by our environment, but does that rob me of a choice that I have? And then sometimes the reason that I'm wretched is because I was not allowed as a baby to express myself by throwing oatmeal against the wall and on everything and everybody else. And because I was not allowed to express myself, I'm inhibited and therefore I'm wretched because I have been inhibited when I was a child. I could not act out on my own. I could not have my own way. And I could not just splatter everything I wanted to upon everybody. And so therefore I have been restrained and I have been harmed because of that. I'm reminded of Ezekiel chapter 18, where the first part there it says the children's teeth are set on edge because the fathers have eaten sour grapes. And what the proverb is saying and what the Israelites are saying relative to why they are the way they are is they are the way they are because of the choices their parents have made. And it's not their fault that they are that way. It's the fault of the parents. And what Ezekiel is telling them is this, Get over it. If your teeth are set on edge, it's because you've been eating sour grapes. It's not because your parents have been eating sour grapes. 
The righteous man will reap the reward of his righteous decisions, and the wicked man will reap the reward of his wicked decisions. We're all responsible for our own choices. And so we cannot deny that there are influences in our life. But we also can't deny that we have the right and the will and the freedom to make choices along the way as well. So man is not wretched because of those things. So we come back and we, we look then, is, is why is man wretched? Well, first of all, Romans chapter 7, verse 13, he says man is wretched because of sin. Man is wretched because of sin. In Romans chapter 7, verses 13 through 2025, what I think is happening here, my, my conclusion of what is happening here, my observation, is you have the man of sin personified. I, well, we'll speak later to this in another point. I don't think you're talking about Paul the Jew. I don't think you're talking about the person who's a Christian here that struggles with sin. I think you're talking about the man of sin that's personified. Like, for example, the opposite side of that, you have in 1 Corinthians 13, in verses 4 through 7, you have the man of love personified. That if a person were a person of love, they would be, this is how they would be described. So here you have the man of sin, and the man of sin is described, personified in this way. And so that's what you have being painted here. But what you see throughout this is sin is averse to man. Sin is averse to man. God has given commandments, in fact, just earlier, and you find in verse 7 of chapter 7, he said, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except for the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law said you shall not covet but sin taking opportunity by the commandment produced in me all manner of evil desired for the law for, for apart from the law for apart from the law sin was dead i was alive once without the law but when the commandment came sin revived and i died and therefore the commandment which was brought which uh, which was to bring life i found to bring death and paul's emphasizing there that that god has given his command God has given his laws, but they're not given arbitrarily. God's not given his commands or laws to inhibit man or to keep man from enjoying the fullness of life. He's given his laws and his commands so man can enjoy the fullness of life. If there were no such thing as heaven or hell, still, following the commands of God, that's the best way to live. That's the most wholesome way to live. That's the way to live to produce the greatest happiness and success in life. But alas, there is a heaven and a hell. But the commands aren't given to condemn us to heaven or hell. The commands are given to help us know how we can be pleasing to God and serve Him and be right with God. They're not given to trip us up. They're given to lead and to guide us to God. So we can be more like him. The commands are for our benefit and our blessing, not for our curse. He will say in the latter part of chapter 6 and verse 23, he will say, For the wages of sin are death, but the gift of God is eternal life. God wants to give life, but the wages of sin is death. And what he does is he takes that most horrible of experiences of all humanity, the darkest moment in all humanity, a dead. And he ties it into the spiritual to see the tragedy and the loss of what happens with the man in sin. But notice, sin is not just something spoken of generically. It's easy to kind of give a look at a promise of sin along the way. And just talk about sin here, sin there, sin everywhere. 
But sin is also spoken up very specifically. It's not just spoken up in the generic point of view. It's just kind of out there in the ethereal world out there, just kind of sprinkling itself over us, and the, the sin does just kind of touches us every once in a while. No, sin is spoken specifically as well. Hold your marker there. I'll put your marker in Romans chapter 7. And turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 with me. Don't you see the, 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 the adversity that sin brings to man and the consequences of what that is? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and I want you to begin reading with me in verse 9. 1 Corinthians 6 in verse 9. I want you to notice the seriousness of what we're talking about here now. Do you not understand? Pause. It's a figure of speech called little t's, L-I-T-O-T-E-S, which says you do understand. He's asking it this way to say you know this. You know what I'm fixing to tell you. But he's asking in the question to kind of, uh, kind of lead him into it. You know what I'm fixing to tell you. You know this. Do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. You can't argue with that. What he's saying is these are things that will separate man from God. He talks about fornicators and adulterers. And we do a tricky thing with sin today. We make it palatable to us. We rename it. We have euphemisms for it. Well, this is an alternate lifestyle. Well, I'm just expressing my freedom in this. Well, this is a victimless, this is a victimless crime. Fornication is a victimless, nobody's hurt in this. We both chose to engage in it. Nobody's even hurt by this. Nobody's hurt by adultery. Nobody's bothered. Nobody, nobody's harmed by that. But if there were no law of God, if God had never said anything about it, sit across the table from someone who's, been, who's endured that. If, if no one ever say, if God never said a word about that, go, go down to Deep Ellum and ask people in Deep Ellum, do you think a sexually immoral way is the best way to engage in life and that's the most productive way to engage in life and there's no danger to that? Do you think that's something that people would inherit the kingdom of God that they should engage in? The Gentile on the street knows that's not what you do. But it's easy to say, well, we're just expressing ourselves and nobody's hurt by that. Everybody's hurt by it. And then he talks further and he says, talks about the thieves. Talks about those who are dishonest. Those who have no, no threat of honesty in them whatsoever. They, they, they'll steal from you. They'll steal from everybody. They're not concerned about your rights or your property. They're just concerned about themselves. And the people who are thieves, they, they can't inherit the kingdom of God. And then he will talk about the covetous. Now, I have seen people who have been separated from the fellowship of God's people in a local church because of drunkenness and because of sexual immorality. But when's the last time you saw someone who was separated from the fellowship of God because of covetousness? And admittedly, that's hard to work, hard to define. It's a heart thing. Covetousness is not, okay, I want what you have. That's the whole premise of the marketing system that we have. Someone has something that you want, and you have the ability to make trade for it. You want what they have, and you find a way to get that. You don't steal it. You find a way to have commerce with that. Covetous is the inordinate love for things. It's a love of money. It's a lover of things. It's the inordinate love of things. We would say it this way. He or she is just money hungry. 
the thing that dominates their very mind and very thinking is the very material possessions of this life. And those material possessions of this life have supplanted God in their lives. That may not be we are ever able to identify someone like that, but God is able to identify someone like that. And that person can't inherit the kingdom of God. We talk about those who are homosexuals can't inherit the kingdom of God. Let's just think about that just a moment. Just for argument's sake, just for argument's sake, let's assume that someone who's involved in the, in the expression of homosexuality in their life, let's just for argument's sake say they are born that way. That's the way they're born. And that's their preference. Do they not still have a right to make a choice otherwise? Just because that's their preference and they're born that way, does that mean they have lost their ability to say no to that and they can't say yes to what is right? We're all born with predilections. All have different things we're born with. Does that mean we have to follow that predilection to its end? Or can we choose to say, no, I'm not going that way. I'm going to go this way because I see that's wrong. I'm not going to follow my birth pattern. I'm going to follow God's birth pattern. I'm going to make a choice to do this. However, I think God argues otherwise about it being someone being born that way. And, and Jordan touched on this. When you turn back to Romans chapter 1, and he talks about in Romans chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. He says, verse 27, uh, verse 26, For this reason God gave them up to vile affections, for the women exchanging the natural use, what is against nature. Likewise, the also men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burning their lust for one another. There is a natural use that man has. And the natural use is not a man for a man or a woman with a woman. That is against the way God created man and woman. So we have a choice in that. We have a choice as to how we're going to express ourselves. You have the idea of drunkenness. So here's a person who has, has a predilection toward alcohol. And by the way, that's true. There are people who have that, that kind of predisposition toward alcohol. And they had the predisposition toward alcohol. Jordan can say biological. I can't say predisposition. Does that mean then they make a choice to be drunkards? Oh, and by the way, just a sidebar. The Bible doesn't talk about drunk, not drunk. The Bible talks about sober, not sober. And so if we're going to engage in, in social drinking, drinking of alcohol in a social kind of way, we better know where that line's at. We better know where not sober's at. Because here's the deal. You cross the line of not sober, not sober people are drunkards and not sober people that are drunkards don't inherit the kingdom of heaven. We're playing, playing Russian roulette with that. We better know where the line's at. And by the way, the only way to know where the line's at is probably because I crossed the line. And that might be something I need something to think about. Notice, here are things that will keep you from the kingdom of heaven. Sin is wretched, and sin will keep man from the kingdom of heaven. Don't you see something else? Man is also wretched because of judgment. Turn to James chapter 2. Turn to James chapter 2. Beginning in verse, verse, verse 2 of James chapter 2. James chapter 2, verse 2. 
for if they should come into your assembly, a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should come also one of poor man in filthy clothes. And you pay attention to the one wearing fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place and say to the poor man, you stand there or sit at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges of evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you've dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme the noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let me set this scene here of what he's talking about here. So here he talks about this man that comes in, this poor man with filthy clothes. Now, filthy clothes there is not just okay. They're just dirty. These are clothes that have dirty dirt on them. These are clothes that have dirt caked on them. They are dirty, dirt, dirty, filthy clothes. They haven't seen a washing machine maybe in all their life, and the man wearing them, a bar of soap would run from them. I mean, he is absolutely filthy, dirty, dirt, filthy. He's not just dirty, filthy. He's dirty, dirt, filthy. And he comes into our assembly. And we see him come in, and he is that ramshackle-looking fellow. I mean, he is filthy-looking, not just dirty-looking, filthy-looking. And we tell him, we've got a corner back over here for you. Glad to have you, and we've got a seat right back over here for you. Get back in this corner, that's a, we'll, we'll let you sit there. And as he passes by out, we just turn the other way. But now comes the person. He shows up in his nice polished Rolls Royce rolls under the portico because you can have a drive through with a Rolls Royce. You have a portico Drives into the portico and gets out in his nice, beautiful suit, tie everything matching, jewelry in place. He walks in. The first thing we do is say, hi, brother, how are you doing? Come down here and sit by me. We got a place just down here for you. Please come down here and sit by us. We're just so glad to have you today. We'll even tell people you're here and who your name is. We're so glad to have you be with us. Will you come back again? We're just so thrilled you could come. And what he says is, well, we've done that. We haven't murdered anybody. We haven't committed adultery with anybody. But we violated the law. Yeah, but it's only one thing. But wait a minute, the penitentiary is full of people. Who only did one thing. What he says is, if you did that one thing, you break the whole law. And you are in judgment, I'm in judgment, of the law. He says, that's serious business. You know, if you're a cattleman, and you have pastures that are fenced in, 
and there's one section of your fence that is broken down. It just will be the whole fence broken down because all the cows are going to get out. If they're just at one point, like partiality, we violate the law. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. He said you stand guilty as a lawbreaker and are guilty of the judgment of the whole laws. We want to be careful about that. Turn back a couple pages to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Look at verse 26. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 26. For if we sin willfully after we've received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who's rejected Moses, Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses of how much worse the punishment do you suppose will be? Those who thought worthy who have trampled the Son of God underfoot count the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the Spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Bench his mind, I'll repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hand of the living God. And what he says is, is when we willfully spit in the face of Jesus, this is not a matter of ignorance, not a matter of neglect on our part. We have willfully spit in the face of Jesus and said, I will not, after having received the blessing of his grace, he said, it is as though we have stood there and hurled the insults of Jesus on the cross that very day and have trampled on it all once again. And he said, when we do that, there's no more sacrifice. That's a bad state to be in. We don't want to be in the state there's no more sacrifice for sin come to verse 39 we're not of those who draw back to perdition but those who believe in the same as soul judgment brings perdition and we want to be careful that we're not wretched because of judgment man is wretched because of sin and man is wretched because of judgment well, what produced this outcry? Back to Romans chapter 7 now. What produced this outcry of wretchedness? Go back with me now and begin in verse 14. We know the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. I said a moment ago, I think this passage is talking about the personification of the man of sin. When he says, I am sold under sin... That's not the Christian who's been redeemed by the blood of Christ who has a problem with sin, who stumbles, who may in his ignorance stumble, who may in his neglect stumble. He's not talking about someone who has been redeemed by the blood of Christ and they have a misstep. He's talking about people who are sold under sin. Sold under sin does not describe the person redeemed by the blood of Christ. Distinction, please. I know we say we're all sinners. That is true. But we're not all sinners. We're not all sold under sin. Some of us have been bought back from being sold under sin. We still deal with struggle of sin in our life, but sin is not ruling and controlling us in our life. Christ is ruling and controlling us in our life. That's different. And so he says, here is the man who's sold under sin, but what I've been sold under sin, 
what I'm doing, I do not understand. What I will to do, I do not practice. What I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree that the law is good. But as the Lord, I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Again, this is not the person struggling with it. Here's not the person that has a problem because of his ignorance or because of his weakness. Here's a person who is now, sin is dwelling. Sin is ruling and controlling. When I go on the road to stay and I stay in a hotel or stay with somebody's house, and I tell them I'm staying down here at the Hampton Inn. Is that your home? Is that where you're dwelling? No, that's where I'm visiting. My dwelling, my home, where I live is 1406 Shadow Hills Drive, Wiley, Texas. The idea of dwell is the idea of home, the idea of ruling, the idea of controlling. And what he's saying here is, I can't do what I want to do. What I want to do, I can't do. Why? Because I've lost the ability to enforce my will to do what is right. I have sold myself under sin, and it is sin that is ruling and controlling me. Satan is indeed ruling, controlling, and directing me. And I've lost the ability and the power to enforce my own will. And so he says then, for I know, verse 18, that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells, for the will is present with me, but to form what is good I do not find, for the good I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I do not, that I practice. Why do you do it? Because it is sin who dwells in me. Here is the person who has a long practice and habit, as Peter will say, cannot cease from sin. They've lost the ability to enforce it. Here's the man that struggles with a bottle. He sees the, the detriment of the bottle. He knows, he knows the lifestyle of the bottle. He knows where that leads. And he says, I don't want to do what I'm doing and what I hate I do. And what I will do, I cannot do. Why can't you do that? Because I don't have control over it. The bottle is ruling and controlling me. I've lost the control. I've lost the ability to enforce my will over the bottle. The bottle, the alcohol, is controlling me. Sin is ruling. Sin controls. Sin's leading me. I can't escape that. I have no escape. Oh, wretched man that I am. I'm sold into sin, and sin is ruling and dominating me. I can't escape this. I can't cease from sin. I have no will to enforce what is right. What I see, I hate. What I do, what I practice, I will not to do. What I delight in, I don't do. Why? Because sin rules, sin controls, sin dwells. There's only one cry. Oh, wretched man that I am. The wretchedness is found in the fact the man will to do good, but sin is ruling and controlling his life, and he has no ability to enforce his will over the sin. He has yielded that subservient to Satan himself, and Satan is ruined. If we stopped there, that would be a sad picture. To be in sin, under judgment, and the only cry that I have is wretchedness. Because I've lost the ability to enforce my will to do what is right. But, there's the rest of the story. It doesn't end there. So, Paul, do you have a remedy for us here? Look what he says. Verse 25. Here is the exclamation mark. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So that with a mind I myself serve the law of God, 
with the flesh the law of sin. I thank God through Jesus Christ, my Lord, Christ is the answer. His blood has the power to wash away our sins and change our will so that his will becomes our will and with his will is our will, then I can enforce his will to do what is good and what is right because now it is Christ who lives in me. It is Christ who rules and controls me. And please see the answer. The answer is not in a thing. The answer is not in a what. The answer is in a who. And the who is Jesus. You see, it's more than just simply saying, do you believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Yes. Will you confess that to others? Yes. Will you be baptized for this year of sins? Yes. But wait a minute. Have you changed your will? Have you changed your will? Have you said, have you changed, I will not to God and I will to Satan from I will not to Satan to I will to God? Yes, I will to God. Yes, I'm going to now serve God and I plant that. It's permanent, it sticks, it never pulled up. No small print, no excuse. It's there. It's called repentance. And that change of mind is not fixed in there. It doesn't matter how many times I say I believe in Christ. It doesn't matter how many times I'm baptized. I'm not going to break that yoke of sin upon me. Baptism changes the relationship. Repentance changes the will and the determination. And when I make his will my will, then I can enforce what I will to do because it is his will that is ruling and his will is then controlling. And when I find myself away from that, I come back to that and I renew that. But I never pull it up. Christ is the answer. But one more thing. Turn to John chapter 1. I can't leave it there. There's something else that has to be seen here before we close. Turn to John chapter 1. Is that the end of it all? Is that, is that what, what the Lord wants here now? Now look at John chapter 1, look at verse 12. But as many as received him, as many as have come to him in obedience, as I've just said, repent of their sin, be baptized for mission of them. As many as have received him, notice what he says. He gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in him. It's not just the man is pardoned. Yes, that pardon is there. It's not just the man is forgiven. Yes, that forgiveness is there. But having been pardoned and having been forgiven, now he has the right to become someone different. He has the right to become a new man. He has the right to become, to be, to be a child of God. And to be a child of God is not to be a child of Satan. To be a child of God is someone who has come and yielded themselves to him, no longer serving Satan, but now serving God. No longer a slave to sin, but now a slave to righteousness. We're going to serve someone. But now a slave to righteousness, to a God who loves us, not to a God who despises us called Satan. Coming to Christ because we believe in Him and are baptized for the mission of our sins, 
Yes, that's where we begin. That's what gives us the right to become children of God. Children of God are those who are like God. And those who are like God never cry. Oh, wretched man that I am. Those who are children of God cry, Oh, how blessed I am. The question for each of us this morning is this, and each of us have to answer this. Which am I? Am I the wretched man? Or am I the blessed man? If there's wretchedness, you can be blessed by coming to him while we stand and while we see. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. Questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can. But thank you for connecting with us.